Luke chapter 24. We are nearing the end of Luke today. We've got two sermons left in the book of Luke this morning and next Sunday morning. Today we're going to look at Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through verse 35. If you would join me there. Please follow along as I read. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was one, the, the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. I want to speak to you this morning on the title, He Opened to Us the Scriptures. He opened to us the Scriptures. Let's pray and then let's dive into the Scriptures themselves this morning and ask that God would open them up for us even today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, who we read about this morning already, who we've proclaimed and sang about Father, I pray that as we go into these scriptures that you would help us open up the meaning, uh, the application to our lives so that we might know 
Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's a new parable for you this morning. Little John loved telescopes. He got his first telescope from his uncle. Fell in love with it. And his entire life, he began to collect telescopes, from $2 telescopes, plastic ones that you buy at the grocery store, uh, all the way to telescopes worth thousands of dollars. He, as an adult, had hundreds and hundreds of telescopes. He even went to college and got an engineering degree so that he could learn how to build his own telescopes. He could tell you all about the telescope, how they have these curved mirrors and how they're able to collect the, the, the light from the evening sky. As he got older, he had kids and then grandkids, and his grand, uh, grandchild one day asked him, he said, uh, tell me about the planets. The grandchild was surprised when his grandfather John could not tell him about a single planet. And his grand, grandson said, but, I, but you have all of these telescopes. I thought you loved telescopes. And he says, oh, I do love telescopes, and kind of smiled and patted John on the head. And he said, but I've never looked through one of them. <laughs> Look, church, don't you know that you can, you can be a person who loves the Bible? Uh, you could collect Bibles. You could know all about the Bible. You could even have a degree in Bible and have never looked through the Bible to see the glorious picture of God. You've never been captivated by the sights you see. It's as if you're amazed by the window, you're amazed by the glass, but you've never looked through the glass to see the endless peaks and horizons of God's magnificence. Jesus opened up for them the Scriptures. It's not enough to just know it. It's not enough to just read it. We've got to see through it to see God. In the Bible, God has revealed all that we need to know for, for, for life, for, for our spiritual lives, for our sanctification, and for salvation. All we need to know. You don't need to look anywhere else than the Bible for faith, and for life. However, it is possible to know all about the Bible and have never encountered God, the God of the Bible. You are therefore responsible to know and to believe all of God's Word. The Scriptures are sufficient. And that's what we see today in this text. The scriptures are absolutely sufficient. Without it, you are lost. There is no salvation outside of the revelation that we have in the Bible. Without the Bible, you have no sense of, of life. Without the Bible, you have no safety amid suffering. Without the Bible, you have no way to deal with the dilemmas that life throws. Without the Bible, you cannot comprehend the Creator. And without the Bible, you can make no sense of the Savior. Look at verse 13 as we begin. It's one of the most amazing stories, I think, in the Gospel of Luke, maybe in the whole Bible. 
And it begins in verse 13 with two men who are suffering. Two men who are facing a dilemma. Two men who have no hope in this world. Two men who have no Savior. It says that very day, two of them. Well, who are the them? We go back to verse 9 and we see who the them are. The them are the disciples and the rest. Uh, These followers of Jesus Christ who the women immediately went back to to proclaim what they saw uh, with the risen or with the empty tomb. And so they were there. These are two guys. Uh, Up until this point, they've been unnamed. We find out in verse 18 that one of them is named Cleopas. Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. We can only assume that they've been in Jerusalem for the celebration of the Passover, for the uh, uh, celebration of Jesus, and they've been through all of the events of the last week, and now they are heading home discouraged, sad, and confused. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. And this is where it gets interesting. They're, They're having a conversation. They're talking about everything that has happened in the last week. They're talking about the fact that Jesus entered into the city uh, on, on that Sunday. They're talking about the fact that Jesus was betrayed by a supposed brother. He was, he was denied by a debilitated disciple. He was uh, condemned by religious rulers who put him on a sham trial. He was finally uh, uh, condemned to suffer and to die by the spineless politician Pilate. They're talking about all of the things that have happened over the last week. And it says, while they are discussing these things, all of a sudden they get a stranger who visits them. They, they, uh, Jesus himself catches up to them and is now walking with them down the road. Yet, they don't know it's him. The text tells us that they don't recognize him. Why don't they recognize him? Is it because it was dark? Is it, is it because Satan had blinded their eyes? Is it because they hadn't really spent much time with Jesus? Well, in verse 16, we're, we're told, it says that their eyes were kept from recognizing them. That is the divine passive. Meaning God himself is uh, preventing them from recognizing the risen Jesus Christ, question, why would God in his providence and in this moment keep them from recognizing that it's Jesus that they're now walking with down the Emmaus road? Well, I think the answer is quite simple. If they would have known that it was the risen Jesus, they would have immediately got excited about the fact that Jesus is in fact physically risen from the dead, and they would have listened to everything that he says concerning the Scriptures. Because it's coming from the risen Jesus. But God wanted the Bible to speak for itself. As Jesus becomes the first theologian to explain how the whole Bible fits together and points to him. God wanted them to grapple with the truths of the Bible at face value. Why? It's because the scriptures sufficiently reveal the Savior. 
and all that we need to know for our salvation and for our sanctification. As the old theologians put it, the sufficiency of scriptures. They are enough. So in what ways are the scriptures sufficient? Well, first, the the scriptures are sufficient in proclamation. Like Jesus could have first said, hey, listen guys, I'm Jesus, all right? I'm risen from the dead, and I'm going to tell you exactly how the Bible fits together and points to me. He could have shown all of his credentials and then explained the Bible. But what Jesus does here is without them recognizing who he is, he begins to explain the Bible without credentials. You see, we live in a world that says, if you don't know me, then you can't speak to me. If you don't know where I'm from, if you don't understand where I'm from, then I can't listen to you. If you don't have the right credentials, you've got nothing to say to me. And so then what what you do is you try to be hip to get a hearing. You, You try to be relatable to reach people. You try to add credentials so that you might convince. But listen, church, nobody will ever be convinced of the truths of Jesus Christ because of you. The the preacher is not uh, powerful simply because of who he is. The preacher, the Bible says, is not the power of God unto salvation, but rather the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The truth of the Bible is not then in the power of the preacher, but the power of the preacher comes as the preacher rightly explains and handles the truth of the Bible. The the world doesn't need any more hip, relatable people. What the world needs are for people to get themselves out of the way and to lift up the Word of God. Because ultimately, it's not about you or me. It's about what God has revealed here, and this is sufficient. So, Jesus plays dumb. It's kind of funny, actually. In verse 17, he's like, so what you guys talking about? (laughs) And at this point, we see how how sad they actually are in verse 18. It says simply that uh, uh, they, they stand there looking sad. It's like they just stop in their tracks, and that word looking sad is the word gloom. Uh, They just stop, and they're just like, are you serious? Are you the only person in all of Jerusalem that doesn't know what's been going on? Like, just all, all of their disappointment at this point comes out in their, in their face. Verse 19. They, they, Jesus says, well, what things? Verse 19. They said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, a word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we 
had hoped. But we had hoped. But we had hoped. I wonder if you've ever said those three words. But we had hoped. We had hoped for something better. We had hoped the world would be better than it is. We had hoped the coronavirus would be gone by now. We had hoped 2020 would be better than 2019. We had hoped people would be honest. We had hoped people would be fair. We had hoped there would be less violence in our city today than there was yesterday. We had hoped that our bills would be paid. We had hoped that we'd have some more money saved up by now. We had hoped that the, that the doctor would say the cancer is gone. We had hoped that the baby would survive. We had hoped. We live in a world where things don't go as we had hoped. Oh, and I can't imagine what they're going through because for them, hope has died. For them, three days before hope died on the cross. He, he, he looked like the guy. Like everything about him seemed to be heading in the right direction and we had hoped that he would be the one who would be able to deliver us, but he died. And it gets even worse in verse 21. They say, besides all of this, like his body's gone. Women went to the grave and it was empty. And uh, they said that there was this vision that they saw. But verse 24, at the very end of the verse, it says, but they did not see. These guys are doubters. These guys are men who are disappointed. They are at the bottom of the pit. They are in despair because things have not gone as they had hoped. There's irony here, isn't there? They're wondering, how, can, how could God bring something good out of this? How could God use the cross for his glory? And here they are talking to the answer of that question. So Jesus says, it's time for class. And before he reveals himself, listen, he could have at this moment revealed himself, right? But before he reveals himself, he wants to take them to the Word. And so Jesus then, in verse 25, rebukes these two men. I'm sure he does it with love. I'm sure he does it with gentleness. But it is a rebuke nonetheless. Look at verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Jesus is saying, look, if you've got your Bible, if you've read your Bible, and, and, and you are in despair right now, look, you are a fool and slow of heart. Didn't the prophets talk about this? I mean, Isaiah said he was despised and rejected by men. 
Surely He has borne our griefs and carried away our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with, with His stripes we are healed. So Jesus says, look, we've got to talk about the Bible. We've got to go to the Scriptures from Moses through the prophets, he begins to explain to them in verse 27, interprets to them all of the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Moses and the prophets is a word, uh, a nickname for all of the Bible. Uh, elsewhere in the, in the New Testament, it's called the Law and the Prophets. Uh, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the Law, the Law and the Prophets, the Old Testament meaning all of the revealed scriptures at their time, Jesus takes the Bible and starts walking through explaining God's Word to them. Now listen, when we go to understand what the Bible says, we don't just simply go looking for personal meaning. We don't just simply look for a private meaning uh, for me disconnected from the context and from the bigger picture as to what God is doing in this world. Meaning we've got to be students of the Scriptures. Not just pull out a little card with a verse on it. Not just pull up a little uh, uh, promise of the day. But we've got to be people who look at the Scriptures and understand the Scriptures uh, as the Scriptures understand the Scriptures. What do I mean by that? Well, in Hebrews, uh, it says that the law, uh, chapter 10 of Hebrews, was there as a shadow of the good things to come. So the Scriptures tell us that all of the things in the Old Testament were shadows of good things to come, and that is all of the things in the Gospel the full picture of Jesus Christ. So we are not free then for just any wild interpretation. We've got to be careful students of the Bible. And God then reveals something even in this verse about how we should understand the Scriptures. Jesus says, that he goes from Moses through the prophets, interprets them in the Scriptures, the things concerning himself. Which means Jesus is saying, look, the Old Testament is actually about me. You know, for anybody who thinks, well, we get through all the Old Testament, and that's all works, works, and that's all holiness, and that's all uh, 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 Babylon and Assyria, and just a bunch of stories, and David and Goliath, and, and then in the New Testament, we see Jesus. Jesus is saying, yo, you've got to understand the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. I'm thinking of an illustration right now that another preacher said, but I can't remember the name, remember the name of the movie. What's the name of the movie where the psychologist dies and he doesn't know he's dead? Child psychologist. Sixth Sense. If you haven't seen it, sorry, I just gave it away. Um, I think it was, uh, I forget who, who said this. I heard somebody say, you watch The Sixth Sense two times. The first time through, you watch the movie and you don't realize he's dead and you get to the end of the movie and then you realize, oh my goodness, the whole time, what a, what a plot twist. He was dead the whole time and that's the point of the movie, right? And then you watch it again through a different lens. The second time you watch it, you interpret the beginning of the movie, the middle, of the, the whole of the movie, through the truth that you discover at the end of the movie. And that's how we read the Bible. 
In the Old Testament, what we see are shadows of what is to come in Jesus Christ. Jesus then defines how we read the Old Testament. And so Jesus starts going through uh, the Old Testament and, and says, this is how it all points to me. And we don't know exactly what he said, but we could spend hours doing the same project ourselves. We could start in Genesis with the curse and talk about death and the cross. It's all about Jesus. We could look at Eve and the promise made to the woman that there's another one coming who's going to be born of the woman who is going to crush the head of the serpent. It's all about Jesus. We could go to Noah and talk about how the floods came and God protected them, provided salvation for them, and it's all about Jesus. And then Noah offers a sacrifice and God says, life is in the blood. It's all about Jesus, right? We could go through uh, to Abraham, where Abraham is in his, in his old age is, is told that he's going to have many nations, a great people. How is this going to happen? He's, he, he, he can't have any children. Well, he's going to have a son. That son, there's a son, a son, another son, another son. Is gonna, it's all about Jesus. And the one coming through Abraham is going to bless the entire world. We could go to Egypt. The people of Israel are locked in Egypt. And there's liberation from slavery. And that's about this uh, final freedom that we have in Christ. Uh, freedom from the real slavery of sin and of death. We could look at the sacrificial system. All of it. And see how uh, God provided a, a, a way uh, for people to be restored to him in fellowship. And that, that would be done through a sacrifice, meaning God would allow the, the blood of another to cover the sins of the guilty. We could go to King David and see how God promised to David that he would have a throne that would last forever and there would be one coming through his seed that would sit on this throne and rule and reign an eternal kind of kingship, meaning this king that he's talking about is in some way not going to die like all of the other kings. He's going to somehow conquer death and live forever. Well, we discover it's all about Jesus in Psalm 22, the man of God is going to suffer. Isaiah talks about the suffering servant. All through the prophets, we see uh, prophecies of, of the death of this one who is coming. Uh, and also the resurrection in Jonah, we see this picture of a prophet of God who goes into the belly of a whale for three days and is, is spewed out on dry land, is uh, uh, resurrected, if you would, three days Later, and that points to Jesus, the hope of Israel that they're looking for through Jeremiah and through Isaiah and through all of the prophets as they're going off into, into Babylon, the, the final redemption that they are need of, in need of. I'm telling you, church, it is all about Jesus. Charles Spurgeon tells a story of a young preacher who uh, had a visit from an older preacher. And, and so after the sermon, the young preacher goes up to the older preacher and he says, hey, what did you think of my sermon? And the old man said, well, I must tell you, I did not like it at all. 
there was no Christ in your sermon. And the young preacher said, well, you know, I was in a text and I didn't see Jesus there. The old preacher said, oh, but do you not know that from every little town and village and tiny hamlet in England, there is a road leading to London? Whenever I get a hold of a text, he said, I say to myself, there is a road from here to Jesus Christ. And I mean to keep on his track till I get to him. It, look, if Jesus explained himself as the destination of the whole Old Testament, then we are to read all of God's word through the lens of Jesus Christ, meaning the, 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 the story of the gospel as uh, culminating in the person and work of Jesus Christ is the controlling theme of the whole Bible. And church, uh, uh, there is no dilemma that you will face in this life that is not then framed by a biblical hope. Do you know the Bible? Do, do you know what God has revealed about Himself and His plan and His ways and His law and His holiness and, and our sanctification and our salvation? Are you a student of the Scriptures? Is the Bible sufficient for your life? Well, I'm here to tell you that it is. What's wrong with these two men? What's wrong with these two men is that they are in despair when they should have been in the Word. They're lamenting the facts of last week, but they're lacking the truths of the Bible. They're in their sorrows, yet they should have submitted themselves to the Scriptures. But church, just as they needed a teacher, the lost world needs a teacher. Who's going to go and explain how the Bible fits together to your lost friends and family? Who is it that's going to proclaim Christ crucified, the revelation of salvation, as we have it in the Word of God? How shall they hear without a preacher? Oh, how blessed are the feet of those who preach the good news. Here's my second point, and that is this. Scriptures are sufficient to lead us to Jesus. The Scriptures are sufficient to lead us to Jesus. Two quick points of application. Number one, read the Bible, saints. Read the Bible. There was a man in Kansas City who uh, lost both hands and his face was badly disfigured from a fire. His first thought was, oh my goodness, I can never read the Bible again. And then he heard of a woman who learned how to read Braille with her lips. And so uh, he decided to try to learn Braille with his lips uh, so that he could read the Bible. But he discovered that because of the fire, his lips were not sensitive enough. And so then he learned how to read Braille with his tongue. And over his life, he read the Bible through four times in Braille with his tongue. Saints, read the Bible. Be the kind of person who says, no matter what, I'm going to be in his word. John Bunyan said, I was never out of my Bible. May that be all of our testimonies. May we have that kind of 
love for the Scriptures to where uh, we're always in the Word, whether we are physically in it or whether we are mentally in it, meditating on what we had read previously. May we be able to say with John Bunyan, I was always in the Word. But number two, number two, it's not enough to read it. Read the Word, saints. It's not enough to read it. Another man read the Bible through four times, and he confessed to a friend, I haven't got anything out of it. His friend suggested, why don't you just read it through one time and let it go through you this time, and it will tell you a different story. Meaning, we need to eat the Bible. We need to consume the Bible. That looks like studying it. It looks like looking for theological connections. Sometimes it's in conversations with other Christians, how they understand a text, or with Christians of the past who have written books. We are students of the Word looking for the truths, the right exegesis, the right applications from the Word of God so that we might know Jesus. So, how are the Scriptures sufficient? Let me get back to my main theme here. Number one, the Scriptures are sufficient in proclamation. Number two, the Scriptures are sufficient in pointing us, leading us to Jesus. And I've got one more point for you, and I'm done. The Scriptures are sufficient to light your heart on fire. The Scriptures are sufficient to light your heart on fire. As our story begins to close... The travelers near the village where they're going in verse 28. And I love it. It says, he acted as if he were going farther. Jesus is like, I'm going to play with him a little bit. I'm going to pretend after I just like explain the whole Bible to him, I'm just going to keep it moving. Well, they weren't going to have any of that. And so they said, look, night has fallen. Come in, stay with us, don't keep going. They want Jesus to stay. We don't know why, but we can only imagine. It's because they want to just hear more. Verse 29, it says, They urged him strongly to stay with them. So this stranger agrees, and they sit down with their new theologian friend, and they eat a simple meal together, and it says that Jesus blesses and broke the bread and gave it to them to eat. Verse 31, in this moment, it says their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and then he vanished from their sight. As soon as they recognize Jesus, he vanishes. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't just sit now and, and talk about the details of the resurrection. He doesn't sit and discuss theology any further. They've, they've had enough. They've been in the Word. The Scriptures are sufficient. He makes His own presence known to confirm the fact that He has risen from the dead and He vanishes from their sight. Verse 32, it says, they said to each other. It's almost as if they're not shocked. They're like, yeah, wow. They said to each other, did did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? Look, he, they don't say, did our hearts not burn within us when we realized that we were talking to Jesus? Did our hearts not burn within us when he physically made himself known to us? No, they said, did our hearts not burn within us while, look at the text, he opened to us 
the Scriptures. That word burn means to set on fire. I bet you didn't know that. <laughs> but that is, that, is a, that is what it means in the Greek, though, to set on fire. Their hearts were set on fire. It wasn't the unveiling of Jesus physically risen that set their hearts on fire, but it was Jesus opening to us the Scriptures. Meaning, what confirmed for them the fact that this man is the risen Jesus is what the stranger had explained to them in the Bible. And so they weren't surprised. The story ends as these two men uh, uh, run back to Jerusalem, the seven miles, and they tell the other disciples what had happened. But there's a twist right there in verses 34 and 35 as they arrive before they can even get out their good news, they hear a message from the disciples. And the disciples say, the Lord has indeed risen. He appeared to Simon. Jesus had already got to Simon. And then in verse 35, then they told what had happened to them on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. I wonder if the scriptures set your heart on fire. I got a uh, new fire pit from my backyard a couple weeks ago, and I was excited to unpack it and, of course, immediately lit a fire in it, threw a couple logs in there, took a lighter, held the lighter down at the log, bark started, started burning a little bit, and then it smoldered. And I thought, okay, i got to get this fire going. So I found some, a cardboard box. I started ripping up a cardboard box. Stuck a bunch of cardboard in there, lit the cardboard, and all of a sudden, pretty soon, within a couple seconds, had a pretty, pretty decent flame. But after about 30 seconds, that flame had turned into a billow of smoke. And by this point, smoke is going in through the, our kitchen window, and my wife is saying... Nice fireplace you got there. And so I make a beeline for Bell Hardware. And I walk into Bell Hardware and I say, where are your fire starters? So he points out the fire starter. I buy a box of fire starters. I go home. I stick the fire starters in there. I light up the fire starters. And within 10 minutes, I had a blaze that lasted me all night. Now listen, church, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is this is that so often we are using all of the wrong things to light us up. We're using all of the things of the world, all of our righteous deeds, all of our piety to try to warm up our hearts. But it's not happening. You get a little flame going, and then it's back to, 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 to the smoke. You get a nice blaze going for a minute, and then you're back to a billow of smoke that's stinging your eyes, endlessly trying to warm your heart with the wrong stuff, trying to warm your heart with the weed of the world, trying to satisfy your soul with stuff. 
trying to please your passions with the porn of the people. I wonder if anybody would say that nothing sets my heart ablaze like the Word of God. Now, look, others take a more pious approach. And they try to set their heart ablaze through their acts of piety. Doing good deeds. Listening to Christian radio. Going to every church service they can go to. Going to Christian conferences. And they get this little blaze on Sunday morning, but it's dead by 12 o'clock. They get worked up in their feelings as they listen to Christian radio, but as soon as they get to work, their fire is gone. There's nothing but a stinging smoke in their eyes. Look, church, all of your acts of piety, all of your good deeds, all of your good works, and all of your attempts at a sinful uh, uh, satisfaction of your soul, all of that is cardboard. All of that is, is, is paper that burns like this. It's like lighting a match and hoping it's going to keep you warm. It won't sustain anything. So where might we be warmed? Jesus said in John 6, 63, he said, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. They are life. The words that Jesus speaks are life. Look, the same power that uh, set these two men on the road to Emmaus, the same power that set their heart ablaze is available to you today. Isn't that amazing? Meaning, the person 2,000 years ago who had the opportunity to see the physically risen form of Jesus Christ has no advantage on you as you open and rightly understand His Word. The power is in God's revealed Word. Oh, but it's not disconnected from Jesus. Don't get me wrong. It's not as if Jesus was the final teacher and now we're going to get beyond Jesus. But it concerns Jesus, right? It's, it's all about Jesus. And why? It's because we are not saved by works of righteousness. But according to His mercy, we're saved by grace through faith. And the Bible says that faith comes through the hearing of His Word. And when we come into the Word, we see the whole of Christ. We see the whole of Christ, meaning we see our need for a Savior. We see that our sin condemns us. We see that Jesus died for us, rose for us, all of the promises of God. And we see the, the, the paths that have been laid straight before us as we follow Jesus in holy living. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Church, know the word of God, and allow God's word to set your heart ablaze for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is sufficient. God, we thank you for this story where Jesus himself opens up the word with two skeptics, with two doubters, with two disappointed men.
and sets their heart ablaze. Father, I pray that through your word that we might see Jesus, that your word might be the foundation on which we build our lives, that we might not hope in anything that this world provides, that we might not dwell in the cracks and crevices of society, that we might not look for happiness in the foolish things of our own good deeds or even uh, uh, going after pursuing our sin. But may we, may we be in your word all the time. God, set our hearts on fire as you reveal to us your truth, your beauty, our hope in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.